Amen. Tonight uh, is going to be a little different. Um, I say that and then it, you know, I, I, it ends up being the same a lot of times. But I feel like tonight is a little, I felt a little different um, direction than I normally feel on a Bible study uh, night. I don't have a lot of things to um, to add to the sermon. I probably want to inspire you with stories, but today as I... I began to study the Word of God. It came alive to me in a way that I want to share um, with each and every one of you. How, how many of you have ever noticed that in your yearly Bible reading that you can read a passage that you've read 50 times before and see something that you've never seen before? That's happened to me many, many times lately. Um, not only that, but the Bible is a, is a book where you can know the meaning of a scripture and then... Receive greater revelation about the same scripture. And there's a greater depth there than you first realize. A good example of this is when Jesus said before Abraham was I am. Okay, so he's saying that he is God come in flesh, right? Um, but, but there is a greater revelation that he is assigning to himself the name I am. And so there is a, a level and a scope that's in the scripture where Yes, it means one thing, but but it can mean more than just that one thing. It can mean something so much more deeper and pervasive than we really thought it did. And so um, that's kind of where I'm coming from tonight is I want to take us to a passage of Scripture that we have probably all quoted or read many, many times. It is a fundamental doctrinal passage in the Scripture. And over the last few weeks, I've, I've been doing some studying, and some of that studying informed uh, the way that I began to see the Scripture this morning as I was studying and, and preparing. And so I want to take you to John chapter 3, and if, is it okay if we just kind of walk through this chapter and take a deeper look than perhaps we've taken um, in a while? Is that, is that all right tonight? Um, so tonight, it, it may not be real preachy, but I want... I pray that someone would leave here with your eyes enlightened as to what God is really talking about, what Jesus is really saying when he talks to Nicodemus. And so um, John 3 is is a fundamental passage of Scripture uh, to Christianity, and yet it, it is often misunderstood. We often view it uh, in light only of the controversy uh, that surrounds it or the opposition position. How many of you ever gone to John 3, 5 to argue about doctrine? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I, I can argue John chapter 3 um, with the best of them. And so there's some things that we know about John chapter 3, right? We know that it teaches you must be born again. We know that it establishes Jesus as the only way to salvation, Right? We know that it emphasizes being born of the Spirit. We're Pentecostal. We love John 3, 5. Amen. We love John 3, 8. But tonight I want to give a fuller vision of the impact and message of Jesus' words in John 3. And so we're, we'll, just, we'll just take a stroll through John 3 tonight. Um, it, let, let's, let's look at the setup. John chapter 3, verse 1. If you, if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them tonight, or you're going to need to, to stare at the screen. And um, Sister Chelsea's amazing. She, she readjusted the screen so the words are really big, so I can see it right there. And, uh, and so uh, 
I'd like for you to follow along. If you do have your Bibles, you might want to make notes in it tonight. Um, and, and it's that kind of a Bible study tonight. And so John 3, 1 is the setup. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He says, we know that you're from God. Now, now the Pharisees are the Sanhedrin. They are the religious leaders and um, really political leaders of the Jewish people. Um, they hold a special place. They have gone through extensive doctrinal and theological training in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, and it really uh, is referring to John chapter 2, verse 23, that Nicodemus says that, um, that we, we know that you've done these signs. We, we saw you doing these signs and miracles, and we know that you must come from God. John 2, 23 says that it was the Feast of Passover, and Jesus was in Jerusalem This was after his first miracle, after he cleansed the temple, that he's in Jerusalem and he did many signs and wonders in Jerusalem in John 2.23. Some of you are just now discovering that. Because Jesus does the first miracle, water to wine. He goes and he cleanses the temple after his fasting, uh, uh, 40 days of fasting. Then he comes and, and he's doing miracles at the feast of Passover. And this is where Nicodemus And the other Pharisees saw Jesus doing things that a man cannot do. He's healing the sick. The lame are leaping. The blind are seeing. He's doing signs and wonders. He said, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so they knew that he was sent by God. Um, In fact, the Bible later says that many Pharisees believed. Many of the Pharisees believed. Now, when you read through a cursory reading of Scripture, you don't, you don't think of Pharisees as believers. They were the opposition party, right? They, everywhere Jesus went, they were sending scribes and, and lawyers and um, all these people to try and trip Jesus up and catch him in some kind of a, a double standard or some kind of a, a public faux pas. But the Bible says many of the Pharisees saw what Jesus did and they believed But they would not publicly confess him because they loved the praises of men, uh, loved pleasing men more than they loved pleasing God. That they, they couldn't make the break with their religious tradition. And inside they really believed. And so Nicodemus is a representative of those Pharisees. He's saying, we know that you come from God because we've seen the miracle signs and wonders that you do. Nicodemus realized that Jesus was operating by the power of God and that what he was doing was supernatural. Somebody say supernatural. What Jesus was doing was not normal. What Jesus was doing was on a spiritual level. And he wanted to know how Jesus could do these things. He wanted to hear Jesus teaching because he saw Jesus being used by God to do miraculous things. That is the context of the entire conversation that comes after this. Is Nicodemus says, we know that you're from God because you have tapped into the Spirit in a way that man cannot do. So you're not just a normal man. Right? And so, 
Listen to this. Jesus answered him in verse 3, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I wish I had that, that record-scratching sound effect, because this is what I've always done when I've come to this passage. Okay, if I'm transparent tonight. I've always seen, okay, Nicodemus came by night, and Jesus decided, I know you want to talk about the miracle signs and wonders that I did, but, you know, I want to, I want to point you this direction, Nicodemus. I'm going to redirect. How many of you ever seen, you've seen a politician today ask a question and then the politician gives the answer that they would like to give rather than the answer to the question that was asked? That's kind of how I always viewed this scripture is Nicodemus didn't ask, how do I enter heaven? He didn't say that, did he? He didn't come and say, hey, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? He says, well, verily, verily, I say, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not what Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus says, we know that you've come from God because you do things that only God can do. You've tapped in to a supernatural realm that nobody else has tapped into. And Jesus says, yes, yes, that's true. And unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's always been a strange answer to me. Because at first glance, it doesn't seem that it's in any way linked together. Has any, can anybody be honest? And have you ever read through that and said, like, man, Jesus took a right turn on him quick there? Anybody ever noticed that? I might be the only one. But I've always wondered, like, I guess Jesus just decided, like, this was the time he needed to talk about salvation. And so, you know, here we go, Nicodemus. We're just going to jump off in the deep end. And I want to show you tonight that, that the two were linked. That Jesus was indeed talking to Nicodemus about what Nicodemus was wondering about. And so um, Nicodemus states, he says, that he knows Jesus is a teacher come from God because he's operating in the supernatural miracles. And Jesus responds by telling him that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Somebody say the kingdom of God. That's the key phrase here that Nicodemus and Jesus are discussing. Because what Nicodemus is seeing Jesus do is Jesus is operating in the power of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus said that I can do nothing but what the father shows me or allows me. I can say nothing but what he allows me to say. I can do nothing but what he allows me to do. In other words, Jesus is saying that as a man, that everything that I do is empowered by an And its authority is derived from the kingdom of God. And so he begins to explain to Nicodemus why he's different than all the other teachers. He says, Nicodemus says, man, you do all of these miracles. That's pretty cool, Jesus. And Jesus says, indeed, and except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whether Nicodemus realized it or not, he was witnessing Jesus operating in the kingdom of God and doing miracles at the Passover feast. And so let me press pause and just talk a moment about what the kingdom of God is, because I began to study this a few weeks ago. And and I think as Christians, sometimes what we do is we gloss over. We we know that scripture in the context of salvation. And so what we read it as saying is If you're not born again, you're going to go to hell. But what he says is that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what is the kingdom of God? The word kingdom in 
uh, in Greek is, is the word basileia, um, which means properly royalty, rule, or concretely a realm, literally or figuratively. It's a kingdom or a reign, right? So, in other words, it's not just a physical place. It's the reign of God. It is the authority being enacted by God from a spiritual realm. So the kingdom of God is a realm of the spirit that is subject to the rule and the authority of God. Jesus says all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. That is a picture of the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that because Jesus came to the cross, God has exalted him far above all principalities and powers and that all of the rulers that are in the cosmos or in eternity that are in heaven are subject to Jesus Christ, that he's been given a higher name than they have. And so what you begin to see is the kingdom of God is the spiritual and the physical rulership of God upon the earth. That beyond the realm that we live in, is anybody following with me here? Beyond the realm that we live in, now we we see things in a linear way, we see things around us, and, and we believe God is out there somewhere. But what we fail to realize is that there is this unseen realm that is inhabited by angelic beings that serve around the throne of God. At various times in history, the eternal would intersect with the physical and angels would appear. Jacob has a vision of angels ascending and descending. In other words, God gave Jacob a window into another realm, into what was happening in the eternal kingdom of God. And so Jacob sees for a moment, Abraham is visited by an angel. We see the eternal intersecting with the physical. And so um, there is this kingdom, the kingdom of God is a spiritual and eternal realm that is inhabited by angelic beings, but that also can be established here upon earth. I hope I'm not getting too way out for you guys. But what we fail to realize is is we live on a level of what is here. But Paul said when we wrestle, we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in high places and spiritual darkness. That there is the kingdom of God and there is another spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. And that there is war between these two kingdoms, warring for the souls of men. And so Nicodemus sees Jesus doing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's delivering those that are demon possessed. He is doing all of these things. And what Nicodemus doesn't realize that he's seeing is that he is seeing the kingdom of God being enacted upon the earth. And so Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom, you've got to be born again. Consider the Lord's prayer. Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And he said, after this manner, pray. Our Father, our Father, who art in where? Heaven. That's, that's the heavenly realm, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, where's that? That's in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth 
as it is in heaven. He said what we're praying for is the rulership and the reign of God to come out of eternity, out of, out of this spiritual realm, and to be settled upon the earth. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom come down here, you've got to be born again. And so, yes, let me just calm your fears here for a moment. Yes, it's talking about salvation. Yes, this passage is talking about being saved. Yes, this passage is talking about how we can make it to heaven. But it's not just talking about how we can get to heaven. It's talking about how we can get heaven to here. It's talking about how the kingdom of God can come in my life, in my family, in my home, in my church. It's not just this is the the steps that I need to take to be saved. Yes, it is the steps I need to be ta- taken to be saved. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a full scope of the picture, not only of what it means to be saved, but what it means to live as if we're saved. To live within the kingdom of God. And he tells Nicodemus, you're living down here, and, and you don't even realize it, but you're operating in the kingdom of darkness. You're fighting with principalities and powers, and, and, and you don't have power over your sickness, and you don't have power over spiritual darkness. And and you don't have all that. But Nicodemus, you can have that if you'll be born again. You can have that if you'll be born of water and of spirit. My goodness, I feel the anointing. I'm just trying to teach a little bit. I don't want to preach. (laughs) But what a powerful. When I saw this today, man, my mind opened up. I said, oh, dear heaven. We've been reading right past what Jesus is saying. No wonder I didn't understand the interchange because I didn't understand what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God is not just the place I go to after I die. It's the thing that I live in here and now. And so if I want to see it, I can't be spiritually dead and see it. I've got to be born again. I've got to wake up to the spirit. I've got to, I'm dead in my sin and trespass, but I've got to be born again into new life so that I can see the kingdom coming to pass in my life. The kingdom isn't just heaven. It's the spiritual realm through which the God of heaven impacts things upon the earth. Listen to Matthew 12, 28. Jesus is talking again. To his opposers. And he says. But if it is. If it is by the spirit of God. That I cast out demons. They were accusing him of casting out demons. By Beelzebub. And, and we know the passage. He says. That a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said. But so. But if. It is by the spirit of God. That I cast out demons. Then he said. The kingdom of God. Has come upon you. What is he saying? Did he say heaven was settled. And the new Jerusalem has come down? No. He's not talking about the eternal kingdom out there. He's saying that if you see me casting out demons by the Spirit of God, which is the will of God, what you are seeing is the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if you want to see the kingdom, you've got to be awake spiritually. And Jesus isn't operating in some... Uh, formulaic system that he just says the right words and the demons come out. What he's doing is he is interacting with a spiritual realm. 
And he's saying it's a spiritual realm where demons have possessed somebody's life and body. And he says, but what you see when I cast out devils is you see the reign and rulership of God coming down and taking back what the devil stole. That's powerful stuff. He says, if if it's by the spirit of God, in other words, when I began to do miraculous and spiritual things under the leadership and by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me let you in on a secret. You can't do that unless you're born again. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the supernatural work of God done in your world just as much as you cannot see the coming eternal kingdom where we will live and rule and reign with Christ forever. It's not one or the other. It's both. And Jesus is telling him and painting him a picture of what this New Testament salvation is really all about. He was explaining that you must be born of the water and of the Spirit if you want to see the work of the Spirit and the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth in your life. Because man is born spiritually dead. How many of you know that? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Then further down in verse 6 it says when once you walked uh, uh, following the course uh, of this world. And and verse 6 says that we were dead but we were made alive in the spirit. uh, Alive to the spirit in Christ. In other words that when we were born again we went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Spiritually dead Simply means that we are unable to discern, to see, or to enter into the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Isaiah that it is your iniquities and your sins that have cut you off. That have separated you from your God. Romans tells us that they are, those who are lost are alienated to the life of God. Separated. They are dead. They are spiritually unaware. The interesting thing about a dead person is you can say and do whatever you want around them and they don't know it. It can be happening all around the corpse and the corpse doesn't know it. And and this is what Ephesians is saying. Is it saying that man is spiritually dead because of sin. But being born again makes us spiritually alive. It awakens us to an unseen realm that we can feel and experience through the Spirit of God Now, not just then, but now. And we will one day make the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, our home. And so, by being born again, we can experience the kingdom both now and then. And so, Jesus is giving a fuller scope than just heaven or hell here. He's talking about being spiritually dead or spiritually alive. Nicodemus knew God was doing something through Jesus. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus how he can see it too. He says you cannot see. The word see in Greek means discern clearly or experience the kingdom. Unless you are born again. You will just miss it. It's as if it's not there. It's as if you cannot discern it. No wonder people walk through this life and they become atheists and agnostic because they are spiritually unaware of the kingdom of God that is working all around them. And they can see it and not see it. They can come near it and never discern that it was near. 
And so this is what Jesus is, is telling him. It seems like this unnatural flow of conversation, but Jesus is meeting Nicodemus at the heart of the question. Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom, and he's inviting Nicodemus to experience personally what he witnessed at the feast of the Passover. He's saying, Nicodemus, not only can I do these great works, not only can I heal, not only can you see it happen through me, but he's... He's telling Nicodemus with open invitation that, Nicodemus, you can have it too. You can experience it too. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Now, I I like Nicodemus because he just keeps it real. You know, a lot of us would have pretended like, oh, okay, Jesus. Like, (laughs) I got you completely clear and, and walk away having no clue what he just said. How many of you have ever done that to anybody? You didn't want to embarrass, you'd be too embarrassed to admit that you didn't know what they were talking about. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, Nicodemus, he says, well, hold up. What did you say? A man must be born what? Born again? How can a man enter, he says, into his mother's womb a second time? How, how can he do that? He didn't understand. And so Jesus answered, And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, notice his speech changes here. He doesn't say just see the kingdom. He says, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now he's talking about initiation or a spiritual awakening, a new birth, right? He's not just saying that you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. He's saying that that this is where it begins, that If you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born of water and of the spirit. And so Jesus moves from see see the kingdom to how? First, you must enter the kingdom. And here's how you enter. He says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why not? Because we're spiritually dead. Cut off from God's presence. Without being made alive in Christ, we are at odds with and unable to see and interact with God's kingdom both now and in eternity. And so Jesus tells him, this is how you enter. That you must be born again of water and of the spirit. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying that you can't be born of the flesh and enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So he's saying, chill out, Nicodemus. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again because you've got to be born of water and of spirit. So I want to take a minute and break down these. um, Because there are some common misconceptions about what Jesus means here when he says you must be born of the water. A popular view held by some denominations um, that, that are quite prevalent even around us here is that Jesus is talking about natural birth, like, you know, the, the mother's water breaks and then the child is born. And that is a popular view that has been posited by many. And I'll be honest, I could see a way that that would make sense out of the scripture, except for all of the context. Because how many of you believe God is not the author of confusion? He's not the author of confusion, is he? Now, I, I want you to look at the context of this statement that Jesus says you must be born of water. What Nicodemus would have thought when Jesus said you must be born of water. Um, When he hears those words, his mind, no doubt, 
no doubt in my mind, went to the nation-shaking ministry of John the Baptist, who was at that time preaching a message of repentance and was baptizing multitudes in the baptism of repentance. This was the religious thing happening in their day. This was God sets John the Baptist up to introduce Jesus. And so it's he's empowered. He's the greatest prophet of the kingdom, right? And God has brought Israel to listen to John the Baptist. And John says, you need to be baptized to repentance, make every crooked way straight. You got to repent. You got to turn back to the law of God. You got to turn back to the Old Testament law, right? This is what John is preaching. You've been disobeying the law, but you've got to repent and be baptized unto repentance. Now, the only repentance that they knew was to repent from doing things their own way back to the law of God. We're still in the old covenant, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is on the scene, but he's not yet paid for the new covenant in his blood. And so they have to be turning themselves back to the law in repentance. And so you have John uh, in chapter one, baptizing the entire nation, all the nation. Everybody's going out to hear him. And John is baptizing. Then Jesus shows up at the end of John chapter one and John baptizes Jesus. Right. It's the John chapter one ends with the baptism of Jesus. So John was baptizing the nation. Jesus himself was baptized. And at his baptism, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He identifies him as the Messiah. The voice booms from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we start off the book of John baptism, a little more baptism, right? Then we come to John chapter 3, verse 22. This is, we're going to fast forward a little bit. As soon as Nicodemus' conversation is over with Jesus, and the chapter moves on, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 22, if you'll pull it up, Brother Tommy, that Jesus and his disciples went and were baptizing. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained them with them there and was baptizing. So just take a little mental journey with me. If Jesus was talking about being naturally born when he was talking about born of water, and the first thing he did when he leaves Nicodemus' conversation is pull over into the Judean countryside at a nice little pool in a pond, and everybody starts coming and he starts baptizing, do you think Nicodemus would have looked back and been like, what was he talking about born of water? No, Nicodemus well understood the context of the conversation, that baptism is being born of the water. It's baptism that he's talking about. And so, not only that, um, at the end of the chapter, in John chapter 3, there's a discussion between John and his disciples. They say, John, don't you know that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing too? And John and his disciples have a big discussion about whether or not it's from God. So again, we have baptism. Then, John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So Jesus gets news back that they're talking about how he's baptizing. Who's talking about it? The Pharisees are. Who's a Pharisee? Nicodemus. The point is that I'm trying to make is it makes no sense to interject this other meaning about baptism, about being born of water into this text, when all along the context of water is baptism. It is a rebirth. It is a renewing. It is in the religious context. And at a minimum, if Jesus was talking about a natural water birth through the birth canal, it would have necessitated him to clarify that point. Does anybody follow me? 
Otherwise, it would just be confusing. Because he talks about naturally being born, and then he goes and starts baptizing people in water. And so baptism is the context of John chapter 3. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that was turning the Jews back to follow the law. But Jesus' baptism is different. Both used water, both incorporated repentance, but Jesus' baptism was a turning from sin to follow Jesus. In other words, Jesus began to institute what we know in the New Covenant, that when God speaks to Peter, he says that I give unto you the keys to the kingdom, right? Here we come back to the kingdom of God terminology. He says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And Peter goes on the day of Pentecost and they say, men and brethren, what, how do we respond to this Jesus, this gospel of Jesus who died and rose again for our sins? How, how do we respond to that? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's somebody out there who's going to say, well, what difference does it make what's said when you're baptized? The, all the whole nation was baptized into John's repentance. Well, Acts 19 shows us that it matters. Because Paul meets certain disciples in Ephesus, and he comes to them and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I'm going to just slide in another point right there, that believing and receiving are two different things. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we haven't even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he says, hold on. Until what then were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism, that we should believe on him who was to come after them. In other words, we're, we're baptized looking for the Messiah to come. And he straightway, the Bible says, that he went and baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak, uh, speak with other tongues. And so, um, here's the point that I'm making. Why was John's baptism not sufficient? Why? Because in John's baptism, they were baptized unto repentance to follow the law again. But when we're baptized in Jesus' name... We're not baptized into repentance to follow the law. We're baptized into repentance to follow Jesus. Right? And so, not only that, but Galatians and Romans tells us that we are baptized. We are baptized into Christ. That our old man is buried with Him. And that if we were buried with Him, the same Spirit that raised Jesus up will also quicken our mortal bodies. And so, what is... What is he talking about here? He's saying that being born of water is baptism. And that when we're baptized, we must be baptized into new covenant baptism. That is, that I'm not just trying to live by the word of God. I'm not just trying to follow the Old Testament law. I'm not just trying to go back to what they had before Jesus came. But when I'm baptized in Jesus' name, the Bible says that I have put on Christ. I've put on Christ. And that I've given my life, my sins are buried with Him. That I'm putting my faith and my hope and my trust in Him. That I'm turning from everything else and I'm giving my life to Jesus. Because He's going to give me His Spirit. That's why we're baptized in Jesus' name. That's why it's important that if you haven't, you should be rebaptized. Because the Bible says that Jesus has been given a higher name, far above. Every other name. Highly exalted above every other name. 
Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Baptism is connected to the cross. It's connected to the cross that when we are baptized, the Bible says we're baptized into his death. And so, um, no, no, John 3 is not talking about a natural birth. Otherwise, it's out of step with the rest of the entire narrative about baptism throughout the New Testament. It's talking about being born of water, being baptized. And so, what is being born of the Spirit? Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born of water and of Spirit. And I, I'm rushing through this, um, this part because th- these are things that I'm, I'm pretty sure we've heard before. But I want, I want to give you this fuller scope to see. So he says to Nicodemus, he says, marvel not that I said you must be born again. For the wind blows where it lists, where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone. Somebody say everyone. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, there, there's another popular theology around us that the early church received the baptism of the Spirit in a different and special way than the New Testament church does, or, or than the, the post-apostolic age church. And so there are teachers that will teach that they receive the baptism of the Spirit with uh, signs and wonders accompanying and with speaking with tongues in the New Testament because it was a special gift for that age and for that period. And they believe that because the Bible was completed, that that is no longer in effect for today. So what did Jesus mean when he said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit? So there's a couple points I want to make here is number one, that being born of the spirit is a separate experience from being born of water. It's a separate experience. Acts chapter eight. The Bible says that Philip went and preached at Samaria and the Bible says with great joy, they believed and they received everything that Philip was saying. The Bible says miracles and signs and wonders are popping off in every direction. People are are healed. Demons are are being healed. uh, cast out of people. I mean, they're having the kind of church that, like, if we had that kind of church this Sunday, half of you might go home scared because of all the stuff that just happened. That's the kind of church they're having. They're scaring, uh, you know, children and, and old ladies. <laughs> Demons are coming out. Of, I mean, like, they having deliverance, revival, church. And the Bible says that many of them believed and were baptized But then the Bible says, then they prayed and they sent down Peter and John unto them that they might lay hands on them. For as yet, none of them had received the Holy Ghost. None of them had been born of the Spirit. They'd been baptized in the water, born of water, miracles, signs and wonders. Don't ever say that God can't work and God can't do Right. God was using Philip to do all of these incredible things among people who had not yet been born of the spirit. But the Bible says that they send Peter and John down that when they laid their hands on them, then they received the baptism of the spirit. They were born of the spirit. It's a separate experience. Not only is it a separate experience from water baptism, but there is a singular unifying experience of being born of the spirit. Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, he uses the sound of the wind metaphor. How many of you have ever read that passage and and tried to muddle through it and tried to figure it out? And uh, 
And, and that's, that's a difficult one for the average Bible reader to understand. What is Jesus talking about? The wind blows. He's talking about being born of water and born of spirit. And whew, the wind blows and you don't know where it's coming, where it's going. And he says, and that's how it is with everyone who receives the spirit. So he uses this metaphor of the wind, the sound of the wind specifically. Not the feeling of the wind. We've all stood in the wind and felt it blow in, a storm come out of nowhere and mess your hair up on the way to church. <laughs> We've all felt that. He doesn't talk about the feeling of the wind or the force of the wind. He talks specifically in this metaphor about the sound of the wind. Sound is the identifier here. And he says that just like you hear the sound of the wind and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, I want to I just throw this out there to you. It's how do you hear the wind? The only way that the wind can be audibly heard is that it breaks upon something else. In other words, something else has to interact with the wind in order, order for us to hear the wind. Uh, I used to have an office in uh, San Antonio when I was a youth pastor. And behind we had these huge power lines um, that ran beside the highway back behind our church. And, uh, man, you would walk outside and the slightest breeze would cause those power lines to start whistling. Sound like a tornado was coming. We just got used to it. It's the sound of the wind. If you took down the wires, the sound would disappear. And so the air would still be moving, but there would be no sound. And Jesus says that it's like the sound of the wind. You hear where it's coming from, but you can't tell whether it's coming or when it's going. You, you can't tell. But what you can tell is you can hear it by what it moves upon, right? And so he's... Jesus does this very often. He says the kingdom of God is like unto. And this is what he's saying is when we when somebody receives the spirit, it's like the sound of the wind. It's like the sound of the wind. How is it like that? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter two, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And it fills all the house where they're sitting. And there appear unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And listen to this. And they all, somebody said they all, they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. All of them began to speak with other tongues. In Acts 8, again, a separate experience, an identifiable experience that they laid hands on them and they saw that they received. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says at Cornelius' house, the Jews were blown away because they heard the Gentiles speaking with tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance, just like it was for them at the beginning. Those are key words in Acts 10.45. They heard them speak with tongues just as we at the beginning. In other words, what the Jews were saying is they had the same experience that we had on the day of Pentecost. They had the same thing. And it verified to them that the Spirit of God had fallen upon them. And so... Um, so they began to speak. Again, in Acts 19, when Paul begins to pray and lay hands on them. There are other accompanying signs, but there's one consistent thing throughout Scripture. Is that there was always something that happened by which they could visually identify when somebody had received the Spirit. And so, my question is, how did they receive it the first time? They received it speaking with other tongues. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The question is, if they received it that way the first time, why wouldn't we receive it that way in our time? I'm going to quickly move on. And so the key phrase here is that Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
The flesh can't produce the spirit. And we are born by water and spirit into a spiritual kingdom that awakens us to an unseen realm, places us under God's authority, and enables us to operate and act in the spirit. No wonder Paul's admonition comes over and over throughout the New Testament that we should walk in the spirit that we fulfill not the lust of the flesh. Because if you haven't been born of water and of spirit, you can't do that. You can't walk in the spirit. That we should live in the spirit, right? That we should quench not the spirit. So what the New Testament picture of living for God that is that it's not a one-time experience. But we are born of the spirit and called to walk in the spirit, to see the supernatural. Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall Cast out devils. They will walk and tread on serpents and shall not be harmed. They shall speak with other tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This is the picture of New Testament salvation. It's not, John 3 is not about punch your born of water ticket and, and punch your born of spirit ticket and then just go to church and be spiritually dead the rest of your life. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, no, this is a spiritual awakening that happens in us that opens us up. To begin to discern the will of an eternal God in heaven that he wants to see established in the earth. And he teaches us to pray that way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. It's not a one-time experience. But we enter the kingdom so that we can see the kingdom come. We enter the kingdom so that we can see the kingdom come. Jesus took time to explain to Nicodemus how to get to the first part that he mentioned. He said, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And so he tells him how to enter the kingdom. In other words, the second would not have been necessary if the first were not the will of God. He wants Nicodemus to see it in his life. He wants Nicodemus to experience it in his heart. He wants Nicodemus to awake out of his sinful sleep to the spiritual reality that there is a God in heaven who is trying to impact things on earth. And so he says, you've got to enter the kingdom so that you can see the kingdom. It's not a one-time experience. God uses us to preach, to prophesy, to lay hands on the sick, to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. And so it's not just about Walking the necessary steps. It's about becoming alive and available to the Spirit of God so that heaven can come down to earth so that we can take as many from earth to heaven as is possible. That is the picture that John 3... We have to avoid the temptation to allow John 3 simply to become a proof text in religious debate. Its scope is bigger than salvation. It's how we enter, but it's also how we live and how we see the kingdom. Is God is saying to his church that that I'm going to wake you up to this new reality that a Christian is not a powerless person. A Christian is not a spiritually dead or dull person. But when you have been born again through the water and through the Spirit, that God can work through you, God can work in you. The Bible said that He's given each and every one of us several gifts of the Spirit. 
Several. He's given to us severally. In other words, I believe that God wants us to walk in the Spirit, to operate. I'm not asking you to be crazy, but we've got to learn to tap into this other realm and understand that we are in spiritual warfare and that God has awakened us from our sleep so that we can wake others up from their sleep. God has awakened us into this spiritual kingdom so that we can go into our neighborhoods, that we can go into our families and among our friends and that we can share the life that we've been given so that we can see the kingdom not just up there in heaven but that we can see it coming down in my family I can see it coming down on my job I can see it coming down through my ministry that I I don't want to just have a one time born again experience but he's awakened me into an entire new realm and life where God rules and reigns confers upon us something that is so special. So special. The Bible says that what we have is better than what the angels have. Now they operate in the unseen realm, right? They inhabit the heavens, right? They inhabit the heavens. We know that from the scripture. But you know the Bible says the angels desire to look into what we have. It says which things, talking about salvation, which things the angels Desire to look into. How is what we have better than what the angels have? Because the angels, by and large, operate mostly in the unseen realm. There's a few notable moments in Scripture I mentioned earlier where they show up and they, they're seen. And, and God unveils the unseen realm and we see it for a moment in time. But angels, by and large, stay on that side. But what it's saying about us in the New Testament is that we are a bridge between the two. That we can operate in the spirit And in the earth. We can operate in the heavenly kingdom and among earthly kingdoms. That we can walk and operate in two realms. And so the angels want to look into what you have. Because mostly they just operate up there. But it's interesting. I was talking to a friend today. I was sharing this passage with him. I said, you know, hey, make sure I'm not falling off into false doctrine here. But like I see all this stuff opening up. And he told me, he said, you know, it's interesting that Jesus chose fishermen. You ever notice that? Jesus chose fishermen. You know what fishermen do? Is Brother Dub here? Brother Dub? He does something I can't do. He knows how to reach down into an unseen realm and find white perch in a way that I can't. <laughs> I can't see down. He's got, now we got doohickeys and gadgets and all this stuff to help us these days. But people have been catching fish long before that stuff came along. And God chooses fishermen. They are well experienced with reaching down into a realm that they cannot see and pulling things up of value. And so Jesus says to them, hey, you've been fishers, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate you. You're going to be a different kind of fisher. You're going to learn how to reach into an unseen realm and bring things of value that will sustain life and hope. And so the angels, they want to look into what we have. What a beautiful and powerful picture of salvation. Now I'm going to close, close with this. We can all stand up. I've got five minutes. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How? I mean, Jesus opens all this up to him. He says, how, how can this be? How can this be? And Jesus, just in case you didn't believe what I was saying about this heavenly realm. Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? 
He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Listen to what he says. He says, if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? That's things from another realm. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have this eternal life. How, how can this be, Jesus? How can people awaken from a spiritual sleep and be born again of water and a spirit? And Jesus says, let me tell you how. Because there's one. There's one who's made a way. There's just one who's made a way. He said there's only one who's ascended and descended. And he's going to be lifted up for all the world to see. So that whoever believes in him can find eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. I want to read this little passage out of Holman's Treasure of Scripture Knowledge. It says the central emphasis of John's gospel on eternal life is that the life of the age to come is already available in Christ to the believer. What we do is we look at John 3 and we say, that's how I can get to heaven. And we put heaven way down there at the end of our life. But this eternal life that he's talking about All throughout the book of John, the metaphors with which Jesus defined his mission emphasize the present, the now. Jesus says to the woman at the well that I am the living water. If you would drink of me, you will never thirst again. He says to his disciples that I am the bread of life that satisfies spiritual hunger. I am the light of the world who leads followers into the light of life. The good shepherd who brings abundant life. John 10, 10. The life giver who raises the dead. John eleven twenty five. The way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And the genuine vine who sustains those who abide in him. And so the central emphasis of what John is saying is that through the new birth, we can experience heaven down on earth now. The kingdom of God now. How many of you, that's what you really want? I don't want to wait. <laughs> I'm too impatient. I can't wait in traffic. I want to see the kingdom of God come now. Amen. Can we just lift our hands and ask him, Lord, let us see your kingdom, God. If there's anyone here, God, that struggled with the question of salvation, Lord, wake them up to your spirit, God. Let them receive the baptism of your spirit. For, Lord, it's a promise in your word. God, you want your kingdom to come in earth as it is in heaven. So we pray that it would be done in this place tonight. God, let us see your kingdom come in our churches, in our in, in our families, God. Let your kingdom come, God, and be established in our heart, God. In in, in our relationships, God, on our jobs, let your kingdom come now. Let us see what Nicodemus saw at the feast of the Passover. Let us see it happening in our midst, God. Let us see miracle signs and wonders, prayers that are answered, gifts of the Spirit that are in operation. God, let us see it on earth now in Jesus' name.